0: Hi, everybody. So today we'll be speaking with Jeff Funk on Generative AI podcast. And Jeff has really been there and done that. He has gone through different cycles, ups and downs of technology, of AI, of blockchain, of whole range of other kinds of things. So today we'll be talking about Generative AI with him and how this cycle is perhaps a little bit of the same, but maybe a little bit different as well. Hope you enjoy it. And we got a lot to cover today, and we just started to kind of scratch the surface of it. But maybe I was hoping, Jeffrey, you could say a few things just about yourself, your career, your relationship with technology, AI, and and all those kinds of things. And then we'll kind of kick off into the questions.
1: Okay, I've been involved with technology (laughs) since the 1970s. I got my Bachelor in Physics in 1978, worked in a semiconductor factory for two years. Uh, And for some crazy reason, left semiconductors to go back and get my PhD. And I did my dissertation on the economics of robots at Carnegie Mellon. So I was right in the middle of a previous wave of, of AI hype when people thought expert systems. I certainly thought so. I thought expert systems that robots were gonna take over the world. Uh, and we had all the these, these very optimistic forecasts which did not work out. Uh, I did a variety of things after that, went to Japan, uh, spent a lot of time involved with uh, the mobile internet uh japan was one of the first countries to do the mobile internet i did that for a number of years working with a lot of western firms because for a while japan was very considered very successful Uh, i don't know how much you remember about japan but from the 1980s and i uh, people really thought that japan was going to take over the world so did i so i got involved with that because of my work on robots um so i was in japan a long time and then uh, in 2007 i moved to singapore where i started uh putting more emphasis on teaching economics of new technologies. I was very excited about the success of the mobile phone, mobile internet and mobile phones. Remember this was before the iPhones, the iPhones was in 2007 and the the app store in 2008. So Japan was way ahead of everybody and as was Korea. Uh, I went to Singapore. I started teaching this course on economics of new technologies. I was covering all kinds of these technologies. And I started to realize as I was teaching the course over a few years that a lot of these technologies weren't getting that much better. And so I would talk about the economics of them and the performance and price and all this stuff. I started to realize things weren't getting that much better. Uh, and uh, that's when I became started to become a pessimist. And then the startup, <laughs> I started noticing the startup losses. I started noticing how much money they were losing, how very few startups were making money. And I then I became more of a pessimist. So now I've become probably a pretty famous pessimist so that's how i met michael because i am always being not very optimistic about uh, all of these new uh products introduced
0: well and that brings us very neatly to the to the latest uh in the hype cycle which i suppose is gender ai and chat gpt which we we tend to exchange a lot of information online and there's always a lot of activity but i'm really curious you have this wonderful perspective about having seen waves of technology and technology adoption or rejection You've also seen the waves of hype that have come and gone. How does this compare to what you've seen?
1: Well, I think the hype has become much stronger now than it ever was. And it's not just about chat GPT and not just about AI. It's a whole set of technologies, right? Some people call them micro bubbles. They just spread. And it's just that everybody left all the other micro bubbles, right? Crypto, meta, blockchain, Web 3.0, delivery drones, all that stuff has been forgotten in the last six months because, wow, this chat GPT is so great. And you see just that right there makes me suspicious because I'm thinking, well, all these people just stopped doing delivery drones and stuff, didn't they have skills that were specific to delivery drones? And now all of a sudden, all these people, all they want to talk about is chat GPT. So that makes me suspicious. It's like, well, maybe all those things weren't doing that well. And now they're desperate and they see, here's the thing that's really going to save us. Uh, and then today, Wall Street Journal had this article about the returns for VCs have been very, it gotten worse and worse and worse and were negative all last year and increasing or, or decreasing. And uh, so now they think, oh, ChatGPT is going to save us. Um, and so it's really kind of bigger. Um, but I have to admit that I'm more optimistic about ChatGPT than I was about the other technologies that I mentioned just mentioned.
0: Yeah, because I, I think one of the things that, that struck me about this technology just from my experience on this is that in the previous narratives, we always had this idea of AI being the promised land. So once mm-hmm. you got your data, you cleaned it up, you created a model, you forecast the world, then you got something out of it and then you could potentially improve your business operation or some, some kind of output. So there's a lot of ifs on top of that. And I, I used to work in the quantitative finance segment. So that was us taking data Forecasting the world, making investment decisions and so on. And we were inching, inching millimeters out in, in that kind of scenario. So there's a lot of uncertainty for a lot of investment and then, you know, a little bit of outcome at the end of it. But it feels like ChatGPT is this kind of, you know, straight to your front door kind of technology, where if anything, you don't need not, not even desire to have technical skills. You actually just desire to have some a little bit of imagination, a little bit of creativity, a mm-hmm. little bit of bravery that you actually pick it up and play with it. And then this kind of playfulness I feel like is, is one of the kind of characteristics of you playing with it, but it changes the narrative from, from, you know, the future belongs
2: to Python coders mm. to the future belongs to the, the, the English literature majors. <laughs> it's true. I mean, I can speak to the creative side of things and a lot of people I talk to necessarily, you know, they're not great photographers. They wouldn't see themselves as being that creative, but they're creating great things using AI at the moment. So I think, yeah, there's a a power shift or a power balance that can come in with AI. And maybe that's the reason for for some of the hype is that it it has been so accessible for the everyday person, not just people who are programming, you know, drone pilots and things like that.
1: Well, I still remember the hype about uh, IBM Watson winning at chess, winning at Go, winning at uh, Jeopardy, right? These are things everyday people could relate to. And they weren't good indicators because they were a game. They were entertainment. And to some extent, chat GP is entertainment. I think it's more than than the, the winning at chess. But still, it it's a lot of entertainment. So people are doing it thinking, wow, this is really cool. But, you know, coolness doesn't really matter. What matters is can it improve the productivity of groups of people? Can it enable us to make cars with fewer people, develop new cars with fewer people? Can it do more haircuts with fewer people you know there's a whole set of things and of course what people most people will focus on is uh coding so it helps people code so this is very positive i think this is this is very good now of course these kinds of tools had existed in the past there's all these old all these ways to access old solutions so maybe chat is faster you know it can help you access those old solutions faster than the old way of uh, going to these GitHub and Substack and all these things. Okay, so now it's a little, uh, that helps. But I would like to see some more specific tools developed that help you code, tools that help you do specific types of coding. So there are different companies that develop different things and they have to code for those things. So it would be nice if we had some of those tools developed. So I can, I can remember back in the 1980s when people were really big on Japan, and p- really big on just-in-time manufacturing and on how they develop new cars. And there were two books that I remember very well. One was called Product Development Performance, showing how the Japanese could develop cars better, than faster and better than the rest of the world. There was also The Machine That Changed the World, that described how Japan, Japanese factories could produce cars for fewer with fewer people than other than other uh, um, than, than other factories. And, I would like to see people think in the same way about ChatGPT. How can we do things better with ChatGPT at a system level? Not at just an individual, but at a system level.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and I feel like where we are today is almost like a one big capability demonstration. Mm. Like it's a bit like discovering, mm. I don't know, cobalt or uranium or something. Like, oh, this is an interesting substance. Look, we can do some cool stuff with it. We can put it into these things or those things or whatever. But as you've already pointed out, I think when you productize something, That's really when you start to see the economic impacts and and the fact it displaces or changes industries and so on. But that product has to be um, that there's also art and science to how that product is. So Watson is a great example where I remember coming across Watson a number of times in my career for different use cases. And it, it clearly had a lot of intelligence and a huge amount of promise. If you remember, Watson was supposed to be the next big thing for medical professionals and things like that as well. But this small little detail, the fact that it only worked in this particular way, but not in that way, would have probably been fine to promote it and make it really successful, except for the fact that it was overpromised. It was supposed to be mm. everything to everyone all at once. And then there was no tolerance for failure. And I think with technology, we're also in this place where if you think about ChatGPT as a traditional technology device, there's very little tolerance for failure. As soon as it gives you back something silly, like 2 plus 2 is not 4, People just drop it and go, well, I can't use it. It's just mm. completely, whereas because enormous strength in linguistic, it's, it's poor analytics. But I, I, I feel like this is where perhaps in in the past, we've kind of misunderstood or misaligned ourselves around these kinds of technologies. And then the productization, the promises around it have basically taken out entire areas of technology and, and made it much less useful than otherwise would have been.
1: Yeah, I agree that we need, people need to be more specific. You can't just make these vague promises. Um, and we need more specific. And there was, uh, there, there's a lot of people are saying this. It's, it's specific type of model. So somebody's going to use the technology of large language models to develop specific tools for specific industries, specific use cases. And when they do that, they're going to have to take into account some of the uh, the copyright of uh, art and all kinds of things. So they're going to be. It, it's going to be a challenge. And I, I think that in the long run we're going to see a lot more success in ChatGBT than we have from like self-driving vehicles or IBM Watson and things like that. But it's going to take a lot of work. And I, I think that the, the data scientists need to get, the, some, some of the data scientists need to expand their knowledge of things because a lot of them are too narrow and too thinking about, well, data science is only about, uh, you know, what data is in my big database. You no know, data data scientists should be thinking that. Well, some useful data is like, well, most startups are losing money. So these guys, well, they're not as smart as we thought they were. So we we got to be careful. You know, they need to rethink the way they do business because you know, according to my data, 90 percent of unicorn startups in the U.S. are unprofitable, and they've been that way for many many years, more than ten years. So you now we need to we we need some people who are really thinking about these processes and how they can do with chat GPT and then the types of products that they're going to offer.
2: Yeah. I'm interested to know, is, is there a yardstick? Is there an actual moment or an example that you can think of where you go bang? Well, this, this is the real deal. This isn't maybe similar to the other ones. It's not just overhyped. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it is the real thing.
1: Well, I think when we see companies improving performance through the use of chat GPT, so, if somebody could say, well, we tried to we developed this uh, software product, this product recently, we used Chat GPT, and it cost us a lot less.
2: I would uh, something that, like it, that mm, Sure, sure, sure. and I I understand you're talking about on a system level, but I would say yeah. that it's we're starting to see the early signs of that, yeah, maybe not on a system level, but I talked to lots of my friends, you know, young professionals, write lots of emails, things like that. All of them are using ChatGPT. And yes, that's very personal. That's just them. It's not on a system level. Yeah. But I think you're right, Mike, that it, it is kind of the start of this phase. And I do feel like yeah. the way that ChatGPT has exploded on the scene over the past four, five, six months has been big. And it's only, in my opinion, I think it's only going to get bigger. You see your example of writing emails. Um, you know, communication
1: is supposed to be the driver of innovation. And people talk about the printing press. They talk about the telegraph, the telephone, uh, radio, TV. Um, So much so that people believe that, that they thought the internet was going to bring in this great era of innovation because it was going to enable all all of this uh, great communication and and facilitate innovation. It hasn't. You look at the last 25 years, productivity growth in the U.S. and a lot of other European countries, a lot of other developed countries has been slower than it was before. Then, Um, you know, obviously that's a very complicated issue. But part of the problem is we got too much communication. We got too much uh, emails. We got too much Twitter. We got too much Instagram. We got people wasting their time doing all this stuff. So now you come in with ChatGPT and. You know, we're going to get a lot of this wasted time. We're going to get a lot of low-level people who are going to try to impress everybody with all the work they're doing, all the mail they're doing. And they're not going to be focused on the system level issues that I was just talking about. They're not going to be focused on how can we develop products faster or more efficiently uh, than we have in the past. And that's what we need to get people to focus on.
0: Yeah, I think think it's an interesting point, this idea of overcommunication and this idea that um, yeah, it, it will raise standards and it will rain, raise the efficiency, but does that mean you're gonna write three emails and not one? And are you really gonna have more content for the three rather than one? I mean, it depends on the circumstances. I mean, I suppose my, my question to you then is something around education then. Because for me, that, that's been kind of my go-to place around this kind of stuff. And education is a complex, complex topic. So I kind of wanna be very careful with, with how I talk about it. But within the idea that if you can have a digital agent that helps people let's say workforce skills or adults or even children to skill or reskill and to get you know understanding and to to evolve understanding and that's kind of like saying oh the internet's all about wikipedia which obviously it isn't <laughs> but i mean it's it, surely that must be a less um, maybe may less obvious and more subtle indication of productivity improvement but one that that, that 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 will change the world for a better place. Now again I'm talking about very particular sliver so come with me slightly idealistically about not misinformation, not not you know indoctrination, not manipulation, all these other possibilities around it but so surely at, at a particular sliver it could mean um, kind of a much needed boost in the arm for a lot of whaling education systems.
1: Well, I think some people are going to learn to use chat GPT in a very productive way. Just like some people have used Google search, right? Some people, uh, you know, some people don't say, I wonder about this, I wonder about that. They hear a question and people say, Well, argue about it. And you say, Oh, I'm going to check it. You just immediately check, right? And there's a lot of things that are simple. What's the population of Australia? You get it immediately. What's, what's this? What's that? What in history? What happened? You can do these things very quickly. Um, and so, for some people, they're gonna they're gonna learn to use those things, and you're gonna have the context to be able to take those facts and put them together, because they're going to have the knowledge uh, of whatever discipline they're 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 thinking about in order to bring those facts in and 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 come to a better decision than they would have had without access to those facts. But then there are gonna be people who don't have that contextual knowledge, who are going to try to bullshit everybody, uh, and so. We're going to see both things. And that's what I brought up about earlier about uh, you're going to have low level bureaucrats, low level people who are writing tons of mail, who are using this chat GP just to overwhelm everybody else with their seemingly lucid prose. And 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 it's very easy to do that. And so, again, it's going to take leaders to really force people to be uh, focused on what the real goals are. And you know, one of the reasons why I'm very much pessimistic is because of uh, of the way KPIs, key performance indicators are set for people. There's so much of this little noise stuff that they want you to do. Uh, and there's a great book, The Tyranny of Metrics. There's all these metrics that people have. And of course, as an academic, it was all about publish more papers, get more patents. And so everybody published more papers. Yet we don't get any more science coming out. We don't get any more technology coming out. It's... Uh, it's just it's just a lot of busy work. And so that's my fear is that this chat GPT is going to enable people to do a lot of busy work and to look like they're working. So again, it's going to take leaders to prevent that from happening. And the leaders have already instituted all these crazy metrics and already instituted this tyranny of metrics. So it leaves me pessimistic because I think that a lot of leaders, you know, they don't really care. They're just concerned about looking good. They're concerned about measuring all these things so they have accountability for what what didn't happen. And this ChatGPT is just gonna be another way for people to look like they're doing work unless we have some really good leaders.
0: It, it, it's an interesting point you make because at, at its very core, let's say ChatGPT is an amalgamation of lots of information that's come and passed. And in in an optimistic way, you could say that you can kind of do really good comparative analytics across the development of sciences and ideas and so on. Um, But ultimately it should be able to allow you to compress that information and to get rid of residuals or kind of irrelevancies or duplications. It doesn't necessarily innovate past the fact that you're kind of learning from one discipline and maybe applying those lessons to another discipline. And I think that transferability can be creative and can be innovative. But you're right in a sense that it doesn't necessarily make you a better being. It makes you more productive or more able to engage with digital platforms and, and so on and so on. But is there a particular industry or even use case that you've seen even early on that's made you think, yeah, okay, it could kind of work? I mean, you mentioned coding before, but that was more of a speed and efficiency gains kind of idea. I mean, look, I mean, it's very funny, actually, because just on a quick side note, all the uh, all the startups you talked about that have failed and kind of been inefficient, if the code base of these startups was actually a physical entity, can you imagine the amount of trash that we would have <laughs> having been kind of thrown out? Okay, the same way office furniture is thrown out, the <laughs> amount of code bases that have lying on this rubble heap. Ironically, of course, ChatGPT has gone into that rubble heap mm. called GitHub and just kind mm. of pulled it out. But I mean, I think this is where kind of maybe it was a form of recycling. But is is there a form in the industry space where you go, ChatGPT will move into that space so quickly? And clearly take it over and hollow it out, or whatever else efficiencies is creating.
1: Well, it's uh, it's it's already uh, caused problems for this uh, education startup, Chegg. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of uh, news about how Chegg's share price has dropped a lot because they they realized that uh, GPT would be used to uh, could be used students to get the same information because i don't know if you're familiar with Chegg, but apparently the word chegging is to to, to fake your homework because that's what Chegg mm. does Chegg gives you was giving people homework solutions mm. so that kids could do their homework faster see this is this is kind of what chat gpt is going to help a lot of kids do is they may not some, some will learn some will be smart enough to 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 look at the different information the chat to be become something to try to put it together and try to make sense of and try to learn But there's a lot of kids who aren't they're just going to do the homework the minimum they have to do sure. uh and that's it and so in all of this news about destroying Chegg, nobody mentioned that hey Chegg was already doing providing negative value added it was helping students do homework as opposed to learning yeah and and so education, yes, there will be some people who, who who will use it to learn stuff, but there'll be a lot who won't. We'll just do the minimum, do the minimum, do the homework.
2: I, I have a 10-year-old
1: son. I can see him doing that all the time. Like, well, <laughs> how can he do the minimum? You know, I and completely it's a
2: agree because having access to information doesn't mean you're going to take it on board. It's not going to necessarily equate to knowledge. Um, so yeah. It, if people just use it as a crutch, obviously that's a bad thing. But I think back to your point, if if we can find ways to make people uh, access this information in a way that then sinks into themselves, then that will be a positive thing. Yeah.
0: But, but, but I mean, I, I think you, you make a very powerful point, which is since when have we ever done that? Mm. So <laughs> I haven't, so, you know, everything yeah. we've had so far, which has been information providing mm. because it's on demand for you. It means you never have to hold things in your memory anymore so therefore you don't hold the population of australia as a number in your memory because you know it's only one you know command away um so i do wonder therefore i mean this was i think the point um that kissinger made in uh that wall street journal opinion piece where he wrote and he talked about the degradation of intellectual capability Mm -hmm. because of the use of these systems is at the moment you still need to take information assimilate analyze and then create a plan these systems are not just about execution they're actually about creating that plan and about assimilation of that information and so therefore you can just say what do you think i should do about situation xyz here's a bunch of facts and it can take those facts assimilate sort relevance not relevance and then create a plan it won't be the most fantastic plan it won't be original and it won't so it may be in competitive industries it'll be less useful because competition would drive to better solutions constantly but in operational efficiencies where you're now just seeking economies of scale or slightly lost co- co- cost of production but there's no more innovation to be had i think i think in those systems it will, it will probably come to dominate
1: i would like to see specific tools very specific tools that help designers find solutions so there's all kinds of engineering problems in the world from mechanical valves and pumps and all these things to electrical circuit design and there's there's literally thousands of these disciplines and Engineers have to solve problems all the time. Now, can we develop specific ChatGPT tools for every one of those disciplines? Thousands of them. All the chemicals, all the because there's thousands of problems that people have to solve all the time. Can we use ChatGPT to come up with those solutions faster? So we're going to have to have ChatGPT trained on you know a much smaller amount of data, but some some proprietary data. I remember when I was involved with uh, understanding why Japan was doing so well, at developing products faster and I was in Japan. And one of the people who wrote one of these books on how Japan was able to write faster talked about these um, solution books that they had, that Toyota had for how to solve certain problems so that as they were developing a car, they'd come across the same kind of problems and they would have these solution books to go back and use those solutions well this is the type of thing that chat gpt can have but only if you develop that product development tool you got to develop the product development tool so that these types of examples are available within the context of that product development uh and that's going to require some very specific work that's very different from what the chat PT people are doing that's very different from what open ai has done
2: mm. could we see in future uh businesses, organizations creating their own language models and they use their own leadership teams to input that information. So that can funnel down and be questioned by people below them. So, you know, you've got it on your computer, you pull it up and you ask effectively the best of the leadership team, You know, this is my situation with this client. What would you guys do with that? And you're you're recycling and reusing very real world uh, skills and information, quality information that's been passed on by your peers and, you know, people above you. Maybe that could work in future. Yeah. Yeah, I think human knowledge in terms of its ability to
0: be retained within an organization and and taught is, is often a problem. Like you have turnover and then people knowledge leaves the organization. If you can keep that knowledge inside by having Systems that are either tracing the solutions themselves or talking to the individuals and and collecting the information could be very powerful. I mean, the future of large language models, though, appears to be at the moment smaller and more specialized. Mm. I think what we've seen is that kind of a bloated whale of models at the moment, like with billions and hundreds of billions of parameters. I think the current trajectory seems to be, okay. we should be able to prune that down significantly there's a lot of residual in those models that are probably not that important or certainly not important to a class of use cases. And then I think just to, Jeff, just to Jeff's point, then you augment it with domain-specific mm. private data sets, either through reinforcement learning or otherwise, which then kind of hone it to a particular edge. And that edge could be, I don't know, your your specific knowledge about metallurgical sciences that only your mining companies developed over a decade, some of which are patented, some of which are specific to you and so on. Or it could be something else uh, around in terms of your policies or how you tend to do things. And that, that's the kind of fine tuning elements or the, the kind of customizations. I mean, these services like OpenAI will definitely provide, already do, provide you the tools to do that and the instruction guides and so on. But I I also see language models themselves training themselves each other because there's I mean, again well we well, we're still treating this as an independent tool that we go in there and sharpen and mm. then it kind of it's inanimate but if we give it a objective like update yourself with these kinds of information to make yourself better and better at solving this particular problem that that's a problem you can actually take away and segment and, and kind of adjust its own parameter around it as well
2: the trust factor as well i suppose is a big thing when we you know, use ChatGPT every now and then, you put something in and you'll see something that's completely wrong, that you know is wrong. So I think you're right that the, this is going to be a big thing in future where if the information has come from people who are trusted, people who may maybe yourself and you know the way that you think and it can relay messages back to you or build on those ideas, then that is going to be an efficient way of, of upscaling. Well, this is a great
0: question for Jeff. So Jeff, do you trust ChatGPT?
1: Um, not really, um, but <laughs> I, I trust myself asking questions. I mean, I'm. The, it's the same way with Google search. I mean, I am always looking for information and a lot of times Google search isn't very good at giving me an answer. They want to sell me something. So they're going to try to sell me, you know, if I want something like I've studied the mobile phone industry for years and every time I try to look for information on a mobile phone, they try to sell me one. You know, that's what they're giving me information on. And so hopefully chat GPT can do better than that. They can provide information, but you have to have some overall understanding of the field you're dealing with or else you're not going to know whether answers make sense or not. So it's going to be, there's going to be some people who are experts who who are able to do that, who are able to ask the right questions. Um, And, but again, you're going to have all these novices out there. are going to try to be fooling everybody at claiming they know everything and they're going to be doing their homework assignments they're going to be doing it as some young engineer or young analyst uh and so there's going to be it's going to take leadership it's going to take good leaders to get around all this stuff
2: absolutely i'd like to know you you've talked about leadership a few times what would you like to see from a leadership say you're president of the Earth from now for a year. <laughs> what would you like to implement? I'd like to know. If I, you... I don't want the job. I don't want the job. Presidente. No. We no. follow you.
1: No, I don't want
2: the but job. Ask, are there some things that you think good leadership should entail using this technology?
1: Yeah, I don't claim to be an expert in leadership. The only thing that I know about leadership is that the key performance indicators, there's too many of them. And they're too narrow. And uh, I think you need to, to give people, broader measures. And, and I know that people will say, well, I can't control those things. That's life. Our company's trying to achieve all these great things, interesting products and things. You can only do one part of that, but I'm going to measure you on the whole thing, because I'm going to force you to collaborate with other people and learn about those things and figure out how to overcome those problems. And I think that a lot of times leaders don't do that. They've, they've subdivided, the world into such small little space and that each person is responsible for a small part of this. And I call this hyper-specialization and it's academics are terrible. Academics have created so many journals and written so many papers. Um, you know, nature has 155 journals. It had one in 1970. And yet we had more technologies coming out of the universities in the 50s and 60s than we did now. Mm. We got too many journals. We got too much specialization uh so it's not and it's not just in academics i think in the real world it's too much uh details in the key performance indicators you need to get people uh to to try to solve bigger problems and and uh even if they can't control everything you're gonna have to focus their attention on
0: that yeah it's interesting actually if you, you remember die hard one i Hard one is a wonderful yes. wonderful christmas movie and um the early 80s it was made right it was made in 84 or something like that so in the early 80s the the population of the earth was half of what it is today so literally doubling of the population just in that course of time so i think when you talk about specialization and the expansion of research and the fact that there's proliferation of specialization proliferation of work i think there was a recent article that came out that said a very large percentage of papers in certain academic areas done by people who publish seemingly like two three papers a month or something like very high frequency and you said one every five
1: days that was one of my posts one every five days yeah yeah yeah. exactly people in the world publish a paper every five days
0: i just my i was my my jaw dropped like it was not it was just great and i was thinking well maybe it's one of those crazy physics ones where you've got 25 people the entire research lab puts their name on a paper or something and then quote unquote it's your publication but nonetheless that's not feasible and so then you look at in finance, for example, you've got this issue where you, um, there was a wonderful paper by Campbell Harvey recently talked about Factor Zoo and this idea that 20, 30 years of literature was essentially trying to be replicated and couldn't be replicated. I mean, the, one of the, the facets of science is any experiment you do has to be able to replicate it later on under the same conditions. If you can't replicate it, it's not science, it's, it's wishful thinking. So this idea that science had kind of progressed to this point where there was just proliferation of stuff and again, it does take you down to an AI route, but, but it, it kind of showed how the excessive nature of the noise, to Jeff's point earlier, is proliferated into these as well. And if we continue to create systems that allow us to create noise, mm. um, I think we have to equally create systems that reduce noise or, or segment it. So for example, I was thinking about this recently, I haven't even talked to you about this, but w- w- what if we created a journal based on generative AI? So it was, it was an it was, it was a journal that had to be written by ChatGPT. Every article had to be written by ChatGPT, but in order to assess entry into the journal, it would have to compare your piece with every other piece that's written. And so, by by definition, it has to be additive, right? It, it basically it would it would completely censor out the kind of the superfluous, the the, the mirage, or whatever. And again, there's a lot of detail here that I've not discussed <laughs> here, but you know the the idea here is that you, you kind of continue to set higher and higher bars. Because if you don't set higher bars, if you set the same bars, you can basically just create permutations of work, some of which, by random probability and chance, will kind of exceed those bars.
2: I agree. I There's think too much the trust.
0: Noise. Say again?
1: There's too much noise. There's too many papers, mm-hmm. too many patents. And, and now we're going to get more email message and papers and patents from ChatGPT. Yeah. And so we need to step, step back and... And, and make sure we're using the chat GPT technology, the large language models, in a way that's going to improve productivity for large groups of people.
2: I, yeah, I completely agree that this is going to be an issue. The noise is going to, it already is. You look at social media, the world just feels a lot more busy, a lot more noisy over the last 15, 20 years or so. And I work in social media a lot of the time. Yeah. I just wonder what this is going to do now that people have access to, a tool where they can pump out more emails, where they can pump out more messages, cold outreach, whatever it might be. And how do we start switching off from that? Or is there a way? I I think the only way might be to distance yourself because I don't see it happening really um any other way. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a it's a classic one, isn't it? Where you you have to
0: have some kind of defensive shield. And whether that's provided to you by the tools that you use, like your phone tells you you know or it's time to switch off or whatever helps you to monitor these things but at the moment the incentive structure is entirely on the companies to create these kind of content and I suppose this goes back to this idea is is this if this is a content generating machine or chat GPT are you just going to flood the world with more content that's more same ish but entertaining I mean it, it, it can kind of make jokes It can combine things in entertaining way yeah. and if the currency is your attention it can capture your attention mm. without any real impact on intelligence or anything like that
1: well gbt by definition isn't going to create anything terribly new it's be, it's mm-hmm. it's been trained on all this old stuff so it's going to give you kind of the average answer which is okay sometimes when, when you're developing something you, you there, there's going to be some, some some good points some bad points there's, there's going to be some areas where you're going to come up with the ideas uh, the uh, the overall idea is going to be yours, but then you need all the supportive in- supporting information. So you rely on ChatGPT to help you do that. That's okay. But a lot of people won't. A lot of people are just going to keep
2: creating the noise. I have a good example of that myself. Last week, I actually released a beer. And Jeff, it was a dream I never knew that I had was to release a beer. <laughs> but I released a beer using uh, AI. So it was entirely AI-generated. So I used ChatGPT to provide the ingredients, the brewing process, the imagery, tasting notes, the name, everything. And then I went to a local brewery and said, guys, let's do this novel idea of creating an AI beer. And they jumped at it. And the idea was to create the world's best beer. And I mean, I haven't tasted enough beers in my life to know if this is the world's best beer, but it is a good beer. I was nervous going into it what's it actually going to taste like but it actually tastes pretty good and everyone was surprised by how how good it actually tastes
0: but but I think I think this is a great point here because you also did this experiment where mm. you won a photography competition mm. using an AI generated photographs to kind of showcase the fact that you know it wasn't separate what happens if this beer wins a beer
2: competition well they are going to enter it into some competitions and I hope it does win <laughs> I hope it does win but I know nothing about beer and yet I was able to create the world, quote, unquote, the world's best beer, uh-huh. or at least a very good beer. And that was with no knowledge. So I think this is what I come back to with. I know we're not seeing it at a systems level yet, but the fact that people have access to getting into new areas that they just didn't before, that they have no real knowledge in. I mean, I don't know beer too much, but I created this beer, this photo. The idea was to to win a photography contest using an AI image to prove that, you know, the imagery that AI generators can create now is as good uh, on the eye as as real photography. So I, I'm I'm just interested in in that whole aspect that the average Joe can now use these tools to to do something entirely new, something that they definitely couldn't have done before.
0: But 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 I guess okay okay. So here's my challenge here, mm. Jamie. Sorry, Jeff. We, we're we're going to bring you into the challenge in a moment. But um, is it the person doing it? So have you actually brewed a beer? Have you made a beer? Or have you just entered some... Co- you have the intention to make a beer. You've entered mm. some commands in a system and it's come out. Because, okay, the, the, let's take, for example, I don't know, a painting. Mm. You've had, it, let's say, an, a, a desire to paint a painting. You've come to me. I've taught you how to paint through meticulous practice and whatever you painted. Now you have done something you've never done before. you painted. You've been enabled to paint by mm. being taught how to paint. Versus you've come and sat down in front of Midjourney, journey, entered some prompts, comes something that mm-hmm. looks like a painting. So have you been enabled to paint or have you just, you know, been enabled to create something like without actually going through the middle part, which is the <laughs> painting?
2: So yes, it's a fantastic question. And the answer is yes and no. Yes, I have created this thing, but it wasn't really me. I guess at the deepest level, what I have done is I've connected the dots. I've approached a beer company and I've said, I've got this idea and they've gone for it. So I've connected that dot. Then I've gone and I've got the beer list and I've got the imagery. So I've connected all the dots. At the end of the day, have I created a beer? No, not really. But I have because it didn't exist before. So I think it is a yes and a no.
1: I think there's going to be a lot of lawsuits over art. <laughs> <laughs> and beer. I a know. lot of these artists are going to be angry. Up. You know, at first, a lot of them are going to think, oh, this is great for me. I can do art faster. But once the competition starts to come in, they're going to think differently. It's the same with all of these uh, people making movies. They're using uh, the technology to help make movies. Mm. But once some competitor comes in from outside the group, you know, once uh, somebody outside Hollywood starts doing it, Hollywood's going to get mad. Right. There's somebody develops a movie that's been trained uh, using a technology that was trained in all Hollywood's movies. And Hollywood is not going to allow that. So there's going to be a lot of pushback that's going to happen. It's already happening. But I think the pushback is going to come even bigger because Mm. the big guys, you know, if they're doing it, they don't care. They're they're fine. But once the little guys start taking share away from them, they Mm. won't allow it
0: but, but that, that's a great point so currently i think there is a writer's strike on don't yes. quote me on this uh, yes. in hollywood and one of the interviews i saw in my social media feed because you know that's where i get my news from mm. uh was a writer who was on strike talking to the camera saying look we uh, stipulated one of our conditions for returning to work was that the studios would not use ChatGPT mm-hmm. to write or adjust scripts they just blank refused it and now we're on strike so I would suspect that there's already, you know, for various TV shows that I'm a bit more maybe formulaic, um, a a set of uh, script writing capabilities that these studios are, are able to do and rely upon to kind of, you know, hash out yet another Christmas movie for us to all go see mm-hmm. with the family or another rom-com that we need every couple of months just to kind of keep us going. Because these are already quite formulaic. They're already quite set and structured and so on. And then there'll be like the Sundance Movie Festival and all that kind of stuff will kind of exist. But uh, to to your point, Jeff, I think it's, there's an interesting question. I think what it does, is there's an emperor's clothes moment here where a whole bunch of things that we've been just doing on repeat across the economy, including movies and everything else, gets exposed for what it is, which is just formulaically Mm -hmm. much the same or the average piece of writing, whatever you want to call it. And the economic value of these things would decline very, very sharply. And doing
1: the- TV series, doing prequels, sequels, all of these, ChatGPT is is great for this because a lot, a lot, a lot of these these TV series and these sequels and prequels were already using a lot of uh, previous variations. You've probably seen on LinkedIn these showing uh, how cartoons, animation uses hmm. so much previous animation. Uh, to develop a new animation, so all of this was already being done. It's just that ChatGPT is going to give them another tool to help them do this. But again, the insiders can do it, you know, and they'll be happy to do it to develop the sequels, the prequels, and TV series. But once somebody from outside uses their movies or their TV shows to, to develop a new TV show or movie, they'll, there will be huge court cases. It will, yeah. their, their attitude will change.
0: And and outside the U.S., I'm now wondering about Bollywood. <laughs> Talk <laughs> about formulaic stories, yeah? Formulaic stories. You know, you know, there's only like three, you know, three or four kind of narratives that get recycled mm-hmm. again, and again, and again. Or
2: yeah. Well, you could have, yeah, animated robots dancing. You could, you could do all sorts. I, I, I am interested uh, how they could stop it though. I mean, court cases, yes. Lawsuits, yes. I do see that definitely coming. You're looking at a mid-journey and, and some of the AI image generators and there are law lawsuits going on at the moment. But is the genie already out of the bottle? Same
1: way Napster was stopped. Napster was stopped. Nobody thought it would be stopped. I didn't. And then suddenly it was stopped with a court case and it was over. And the same thing is going to happen. What I, but I, I want to talk about one last thing. And that is... The uh, I posted an article last night about how, that I read in technology review, MIT technology, talking about how large language models are not being used to find hate content or fake content or things like this on the internet. So this has been a big problem for years. Mm. The uh, Facebook uh, and other companies have tried to figure out a way to, to, to get this content Instead, said they have all these humans doing it uh go, inspectors uh going through it and checking all these videos and it just strikes me as very odd if, if chat gpt and learn language models are so great why can't they use this to to flag uh inappropriate content whatever it is uh, you know there's a lot of definite different definitions of what appropriate content is and that in fact may be the problem that there is no <laughs> no clear definition because everybody has a different opinion on it and uh, but nevertheless, this would seem like an ideal application, and 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 I was struck by how, you know, they're not doing this yet, and yet you would expect them. And so this brings me back to this issue of, I want to see how ChatGPT can improve productivity at a systems level. So can it, why can't it help reduce Facebook's content moderation, the size of its content moderation group? Oh, it's going to be done it. faster.
0: I think it absolutely can. Mm -hmm. And I think much of the reinforcement learning that made ChatGPT into what it was was essentially people reviewing appropriateness or whatever of of certain kinds of questions and answers and then kind of systemizing that into an overlay on top of that system. So you think if they just took that part of it and just went, okay, so that's the part we need. Dear dear, uh, Facebook, let's see if we can use it. I suspect that it's more subtle in the context of Number of posts per API call. Right. So by the time you add up all the tokens of how to set up the rule structure for your system, and then you push it through um, a particular message, you're paying, I don't know, let's say anywhere from seven cents if it's GPT four, let's say about two cents if it's just a single one or maybe one cent, whatever. That might be way too much given how many posts they've got to handle. But again efficiencies will come these models will get much quicker to run and and move and so on so it feels like
1: i want to see that though
2: that's what i'm saying i keep Mm. i I want to see these kinds of things and then i become sold i think it comes down to a willingness too from the social media companies themselves i'd like to see it i haven't thought about this issue so i'm I'm really glad that you raised it um because i do work and and look at social media quite a lot The other other one is bots. I mean, you look at Twitter and bots are everywhere. You look at a lot of these, uh, and it's particularly bad during election times, misinformation, things like that, that are spread by bots, that people are purchasing these bots and they're doing automatic comments and things like that. I think AI would be a good target for these i mean ai would be able to to go after bots and to to find things that are shared in the same way to assimilate them like the <laughs> <book>. <laughs> but because they're often using the same kind of comment to find these bots and to shut them off I, I think that ai would be able to to do that because as you say right now it's just people going through and you stop one account and yeah that's stopped but what about the next one and the next one and the next one um actually find the root of the messaging and, and trace that back
0: I, I think law enforcement, especially for cyber, is a fascinating topic, and we're using for a lot for that. But just general law enforcement for monitoring or for, for tracking and those kinds of things. But again, I go back to this idea of whose incentives are, are, is it to stop that? Don't mm-hmm. forget, these these platforms are trying to create engagement. The more mm-hmm. voices they have, the more probabilities that you'll like one of those voices and click on it and engage with it and add your own and so on. So I feel like the the incentive structure isn't to reduce the noise here; it's actually to maintain it at some level, where there's enough unique perspectives that anybody can get kind of stuck on on the fly meter here. And so, really, the the inefficiencies that we observe are really part of that whole marketing pushed for for you know perspectives and all that kind of stuff. So, there's there's no question that there's enormous amounts of positives that could be used from psychology bots to personal bots to all these different things to help you. But equally, if you just put it into the current system, it's a bit like saying we've got uranium, we've got a big bomb that requires something to put in the middle of it, and then we've got this power plant that could put something in the middle of it. So which one shall we do? And if the answer is, well, we're all about bombs, then you know we end up making another version of that in, in some other kind of permutation. And I suspect that, again, given the cycle we are in, capitalism, social media, dah, 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 the way that the system is set up at the moment, the initial use cases will very much take us into that direction but it doesn't mean a whole bunch of other new educational startups and so on won't mm. try and use this for good and social, you know, social good somewhere. It just happens to be that the social good elements of society is on average, much less technologically driven and empowered than the technology marketing side who are essentially using this already. And so for them, it's just slots straight in.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you very much for jumping on board. Uh, it's been a fantastic conversation. Uh, it's you come with a very interesting viewpoint more pessimistic than i think we've had from other guests which is great which is great because it takes us into different areas but thank you very much for jumping on tonight and um yeah we'll speak to you again soon thanks jeff okay my pleasure thank you thanks jeff